Welcome to Bandcamp. My name's Dan. And I'm Jennifer. And this is the podcast where we read banned books to find out why in the heck they were banned in the first place. And this season we are reading Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. And we are going to read section three of part one today. Give you a quick recap of how the last section ended. Basically, Montague came home from a hard day of putting, uh, I was going to say putting out fires, but starting book fires or whatever he does at work. And he found his wife, Mildred, seemed to have overdose on sleeping pills. So he had to call two handymen, I mean, emergency services, and they pumped her stomach out. And then he took a couple sleeping lozenges and he went to sleep. After a a few minutes of counting random things. <laughs> oh, the he is the count. Oh, man. We should have a side bet. Will there be more counting in this next section? I think the whole book is going to have weird little counting things. It's going to be really <laughs> embarrassing for me to read out loud. But as long as everyone knows what's going on, I'll be all right with it. So with that being said, let's begin the next part. At nine in the morning... Mildred's bed was empty. Montag got up quickly, his heart pumping, and ran down the hall and stopped at the kitchen door. Toast popped out of the silver toaster, was seized by a spidery metal hand that drenched it with melted butter. Man, I really wish someone would come up with this spidery metal hand that would butter my toast. Yeah. That really butters my toast. (laughs) (laughs) Mildred watched the toast delivered to her plate. She had both ears plugged with electronic bees that were humming the hour away. She looked up suddenly, saw him, and nodded. You all right, he asked. She was an expert at lip reading from 10 years of apprenticeship at Seashell Ear Thimbles. She nodded again. She set the toaster clicking away at another piece of bread. Montag sat down. His wife said, I don't know why I should be so hungry. You, I'm hungry. Last night, he began. Didn't sleep well. Feel terrible, she said. God, I'm hungry. I can't figure it out. Last night, he said again. She watched his lips casually. What about last night? Don't you remember? What? Did we have a wild party or something? Feel like I have a hangover. God, I'm hungry. Who was here? A few people, he said. That's what I thought. She chewed her toast. Sore stomach, but I'm hungry as all get out. I hope I didn't do anything foolish at the party. No, he said quietly. Oh, that's so sad. He wanted to have a conversation. Well, he's got to tell her though, right? Or is he so checked out of his marriage? He's like, yeah, I was going to tell you that emergency service had to come and pump out your stomach, but uh, yeah, okay. We had a couple people over. Don't worry about it. Maybe he realizes he's defeated. He tried. Very, a very weak try, but he tried yeah. and he's like, uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> The toaster spidered out a piece of buttered bread for him. He held it in his hand, feeling obligated. You don't look so hot yourself, said his wife. In the late afternoon, it rained and the entire world was dark gray. That sounds like Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) He stood in the hall of his house, putting on his badge with the orange salamander burning across it. He stood looking up at the air conditioning vent in the hall for a long time. His wife in the TV parlor paused long enough from reading her script to glance up. Hey, she said, the man's thinking. Yes, he said. I wanted to talk to you. He paused. You took all the pills in your bottle last night. 
Oh, so he he's going to continue right. with the conversation. Oh, I wouldn't do that, she said, surprised. The bottle was empty. I wouldn't do a thing like that. Why would I do a thing like that, she said. Maybe you took two pills and forgot and took two more and forgot again and took two more. You were so dopey. You kept right on until you had 30 or 40 of them in you. Heck, she said, why would I want to go and do a silly thing like that for? I don't know, he said. She was quite obviously waiting for him to go. I didn't do that, she said. Never in a billion years. So complete denial. Can't have mm -hmm. a conversation. All right, if you say so, he said. That's what the lady said. She turned back to her script. What's on this afternoon, he asked tiredly. She didn't look up from the script again. Well, this is a play comes on the wall-to-wall -wall circuit in 10 minutes. They mailed me my part this morning. I sent in some box tops. They write the script with one part missing. It's a new idea. The homemaker, that's me, is the missing part. When it comes time for the missing lines, they all look at me out of the three walls and I say the lines. Here, for instance, the man says, What do you think of this whole idea then, Helen? And he looks at me sitting here center stage, see? And I say, I say, she paused and ran her finger under a line of the script. I think that's fine. And then they go on with the play until he says, do you agree to that, Helen? And I say, I sure do. Isn't that fun, guy? He stood in the hall looking at her. It's sure fun, she said. What's the play about? I just told you. There are these people named Bob and Ruth and Helen. Oh, it's really fun. It'll be even more fun when we can afford to have the fourth wall installed. How long you figure before we save up and get the fourth wall torn out and a fourth wall TV put in? It's only $2,000. That's one third of my yearly pay. It's only $2,000, she replied, and I should think you'd consider me sometimes. If we had a fourth wall, why, it'd be just like this room wasn't ours at all, but all kinds of exotic people's rooms. We could do without a few things. He would hate the modern world where everyone really is sucked into their devices. Oh, my God. <laughs> so in the future, so they have, there are rooms where just all four walls. You just walk in and you're in like a, a big, uh, what is that called with the big theater? Omnimax. Yeah. And you're part of it. So you're, it's kind of like you get to interact with people. It's kind of like being online. Did Ray Bradbury invent online role play? Ray Bradbury, author and future teller. Oh, wait, hold on. We just figured out how much he makes. He makes $6,000 a year? Well, that must have been a, a ton in 1953, right? How much was that in 1953? According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics Inflation Calculator, $6,000 in 1953 is roughly equivalent to $67,369.57 today. Oh, God, that's not much. It's like a middle-class paycheck. Yeah. But he's like at the top echelon, I thought, of society, like re with respect. Like, don't you respect me? Yeah, I don't know. We're already doing without a few things to pay for the third wall. It was put in only two months ago, remember? Is that all it was? She sat looking at him for a long moment. Well, goodbye, dear. So that's all she needs him for. Pay for my TV walls. <laughs> goodbye, he said. He stopped and turned around. Does it have a happy ending? I haven't read that far. He walked over, read the last page, nodded, folded the script, and handed it back to her. He walked out of the house into the rain. 
Interesting. Could it be that Clarice's curiosity is rubbing off on him? He had to know what was on that last page of the script. Mm, reading. Reading ahead. Okay. The rain was thinning away, and the girl was walking in the center of the sidewalk with her head up and the few drops falling on her face. She smiled when she saw Montag. Hello! He said hello and then said, what are you up to now? I'm still crazy. The rain feels good. I love to walk in it. I don't think I'd like that, he said. You might if you tried. I never have. She licked her lips. Rain even tastes good. What do you do, go around trying everything once, he asked? Sometimes twice, she looked at something in her hand. What have you got there, he said. I guess it's the last of the dandelions this year. I didn't think I'd find one on the lawn this late. Have you ever heard of rubbing it under your chin? Look. She touched her chin with the flower, laughing. Why? If it rubs off, it means I'm in love. Has it? He could hardly do anything else but look. Well, she said, you're yellow under there. Fine. Let's try you now. It won't work for me. Here. Before he could move, she had put the dandelion under his chin. He drew back and she laughed. Hold still. She peered under his chin and frowned. Well, he said. What a shame, she said. You're not in love with anyone. Yes, I am. It doesn't show. I am very much in love. He tried to conjure up a face to fit the words, but there was no face. I am. Oh, please don't look that way. It's that dandelion, he said. You've used it all up on yourself. That's why it won't work for me. Of course, that must be it. Oh, now I've upset you. I can see I have. I'm sorry. Really, I am. She touched his elbow. No, no, he said quickly. I'm all right. I've got to be going, so say you forgive me. I don't want you angry with me. I'm not angry. Upset? Yes. I've got to see my psychiatrist now. They make me go. I make up things to say. I don't know what he thinks of me. He says I'm a regular onion. I keep him busy peeling away the layers. I'm inclined to believe you need the psychiatrist, said Montag. You don't mean that. He took a breath and let it out and at last said, No, I don't mean that. The psychiatrist wants to know why I go out and hike around in the forests and watch the birds and collect butterflies. I'll show you my collection someday. Good. They want to know what I do with all my time. I tell them that sometimes I just sit and think, but I won't tell them what. I've got them running. And sometimes, I tell them, I like to put my head back, like this, and let the rain fall in my mouth. It tastes just like wine. Have you ever tried it? No, I. You have forgiven me, haven't you? Yes, he thought about it. Yes, I have. God knows why. You're peculiar. You're aggravating. Yet you're easy to forgive. You say you're 17? Well, next month. How odd. How strange. And my wife, 30. And yet you seem so much older at times. I can't get over it. You're peculiar yourself, Mr. Montag. Sometimes I even forget you're a fireman. Now, may I make you angry again? Go ahead. How did it start? How did you get into it? How did you pick your work? And how did you happen to think to take the job you have? You are not like the others. I've seen a few. I know. When I talk, you look at me. When I said something about the moon, you looked at the moon last night. The others would never do that. So she recognizes something in him. And this is, I think, to, supposed to explain to us who he is. Like there's, there's a little kernel of normal dude in there, maybe, hopefully. Yeah, she's bringing out his humanity. Yeah. The others would walk off and leave me talking or threaten me. No one has time anymore for anyone else. 
You're one of the few who put up with me. That's why I think it's so strange you're a fireman. It just doesn't seem right for you somehow. Well, I'm going to have to agree with her there. Right. He felt his body divide itself into a hotness and a coldness, a softness and a hardness. Oh, there's this word I hate. A trembling and a not trembling. The two halves grinding. Why does he use trembling so much? I don't know. I don't like it. Is tremble your moist? Yeah, I think so. The two halves grinding one upon the other. You'd better run on to your appointment, he said. And she ran off and left him standing there in the rain. Only after a long time did he move. And then, very slowly, as he walked, he tilted his head back in the rain for just a few moments and opened his mouth. The mechanical hound slept but did not sleep, lived but did not live in its gently humming, gently vibrating, softly illuminated kennel back in a dark corner of the firehouse. The dim light of one in the morning, the moonlight from the open sky framed through the great window, touched here and there on the brass and the copper and the steel of the faintly trembling beast. Light flickered on bits of ruby glass and on the sensitive capillary hairs in the nylon-brushed nostrils of the creature that quivered gently. Its eight legs spidered under it on rubber-padded paws. I like that, that in the future they still have the uh, firehouse dogs, but they're now robotic Hmm. and they gave them a few upgrades. Like, now you guys have eight legs (laughs) now, but you know where we need to work? Let's keep the nose. Let's keep the nostrils. And the little little rubber-padded paws. That sounds cute. It does sound nice. Montag slid down the brass pole. He went out to look at the city, and the clouds had cleared away completely, and he lit a cigarette and came back to bend down and look at the hound. It was like a great bee come home from some field where the honey is full of poison wildness, of insanity and nightmare, its body crowned with that over-rich nectar, and now it was sleeping the evil out of itself. Jeez. God. Hello, whispered Montag, fascinated as always with the dead beast, the living beast. Nights when things got dull, which was every night, the men slid down the brass poles and set the ticking combinations of the olfactory system of the hound and let loose rats in the firehouse area away, and sometimes chickens, and sometimes cats that would have to be drowned anyway. Why would cats have to be drowned? So the future is full of (laughs) a-holes? I suppose so. And there would be betting to see which of the cats or chickens or rats the hound would seize first. God, so these guys are like doing cockfights in their stupid firehouse. It's horrible. The animals were turned loose. Three seconds later, the game was done. The rat, cat, or chicken caught half across the areaway, gripped in gentling paws with a four-inch hollow steel needle plunged down from the proboscis of the hound to inject massive jolts of morphine or procaine. Jesus Christ, it gets worse. It's got a proboscis needle. (laughs) Well, that's kind of nice. The pawn was then tossed in the incinerator. A new game began. So they just throw away things like they're garbage, throw away life forms, living things. And these guys don't like living things. They don't like words. They don't like human interaction. It's another example of lack of humanity. Right. Yeah. Who would want to live in this time? I guess they seem to like it, though. Yeah. No one's complaining. Montag stayed upstairs most nights when this went on. Well, Montag doesn't like it. That's good. All right. Good job, Montag. Maybe you're human. I, like Clarice, see something in you. (laughs) There had been a time two years ago when he had bet with the best of them. 
and lost a week's salary and faced Mildred's insane anger, which showed itself in veins and blotches. But now nights he lay in his bunk, face turned to the wall, listening to the whoops of laughter below and the hound leaping out like a moth in the raw light, finding, holding its victim, inserting needle and going back to its kennel to die as if a switch had been turned. Montag touched the muzzle. The hound growled. Montag jumped back. The hound half rose in its... This is scary. <laughs> Terminator dog. I be bark. Get it, bark? <laughs> the hound half rose in its kennel and looked at him with green-blue neon light flickering in its suddenly activated eye bulbs. It growled again. A strange rasping combination of electrical sizzle. A frying sound. A scraping of metal. A turning of cogs that seemed rusty and ancient with suspicion. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're talking <laughs> dystopian. This is nice. This is a good villain. Mechanical hound of hell. A <laughs> man's best friend. No boy, said Montag, his heart pounding. He saw the silver needle extend upon the air an inch. Pull back. Extend. Pull back. <laughs> so not only did this hound, mechanical hound, start growling at him. <laughs> The nose <laughs> needle came out. That's right. <laughs> the growl simmered in the beast and it looked at him. Montag backed up. The hound took a step from its kennel. Montag grabbed the brass pole with one hand. The pole, reacting, slid upward and took him through the ceiling quietly. The poles in the future pull people up. In our time, the firemen jump on the pole and slide down. Yeah, exactly. He stepped off in the half-lit deck of the upper level. He was trembling and his face was green-white. Below, the hound had sunk back down upon its eight incredible insect legs and was humming to itself again, its multifaceted eyes at peace. Montag stood, letting the fears pass, by the drop pole. Behind him, four men at a card table under a green-lidded light in the corner glanced briefly but said nothing. Only the man with the captain's hat and the sign of the phoenix on his hat, at last, Curious, his playing cards in his thin hand, talked across the room. Montag? It doesn't like me, said Montag. What, the hound? The captain studied his cards. Come off it. It doesn't like or dislike. It just functions. It's like a lesson in ballistics. It has a trajectory we decide on for it. It follows through. It targets itself, homes itself, and cuts off. It's only copper wire, storage batteries, and electricity. Well, somebody programmed this guy to uh, growl at me and uh, flick out the nose needle and come after me. I'm telling you, he does not like me. I mean, it's really the Terminator scenario here where you design a cyborg, or not a cyborg, a full-on robot. Yeah. It probably shouldn't be going after humans, but yeah. then it turns. How more frightening... Would the Terminator have been a better movie if Schwarzenegger had a needle coming out of the nose and that's like the last thing? Mm -hmm. like. <laughs> yeah. Montag swallowed. Its calculators can be set to any combination. So many amino acids, so much sulfur, so much butterfat and alkaline, right? We all know that. All of those chemical balances and percentages on all of us here in the house are recorded in the master file downstairs. It would be easy for someone to set up a partial combination on the hound's memory, a touch of amino acids perhaps. That would account for what the animal did just now, reacted toward me. Hell, said the captain, irritated but not completely angry. Just enough memory set up in it by someone so it growled when I touched it. 
Oh, so like he was, remember, he, he went to pet it, which is like oh. a very human thing to do. You see a dog, you want to, everyone wants to pet a dog, they yeah. see. And yeah. that set it off because it sensed his humanity, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. And I, for the record, I would pet a robot dog. Yeah, me too. I did a study once where they put me in a room with a robot that reacted to me. And by the end of it, it seemed like the robot had feelings. And I, I was concerned about the robot when they were like, and now we're going to dismantle it. And I was like, oh, no, that's so sad. <laughs> time tra- what are you, time traveler? <laughs> we have robots and you can do- you're in a study with robots? What is this? Yeah, it was like a, they do studies at the university and they'll pay you for your time. And it was like 10 years ago. It was before I had kids. And yeah, there was like this little robot child size and it, it was really friendly and nice. So it was a humanoid. <laughs> what are we talking no, about? But it wasn't it like that Boston no. Dynamics one where that dog was doing flips and that guy. No, 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 no. It was friendly looking one like uh, Eve and Wally. It looked like that. Oh. Who would do a thing like that? Asked the captain. You haven't any enemies here, guy. None that I know of. We'll have the hound checked by our technicians tomorrow. This isn't the first time it's threatened me, said Montag. Last month it happened twice. Well, fix it up. Don't worry. But Montag did not move and only stood thinking of the ventilator grill in the hall at home and what lay hidden behind the grill. Oh, I wonder what it is. What if he's taken books from the fire? putting him up in that vent and the dog is smelling like I smell Shakespeare or something. (laughs) (laughs) If someone here in the firehouse knew about the ventilator, then mightn't they tell the hound? The captain came over to the drop pole and gave Montag a questioning glance. I was just figuring, said Montag. What does the hound think about down there nights? Is it coming alive on us, really? It makes me cold. It doesn't think anything we don't want it to think. That's sad, said Montag quietly, because all we put into it is hunting and finding and killing. What a shame if that's all it can ever know. Ooh, he is just, he's writing the other way here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I could handle a dystopian future if I had a good dog. Beatty snorted gently. Hell, it's a fine bit of craftsmanship. A good rifle that can fetch its own target and guarantees the bullseye every time. That's why, said Montag. I wouldn't want to be its next victim. Why? You got a guilty conscience about something? Montag glanced up swiftly. Beatty stood there looking at him steadily with his eyes, while his mouth opened and began to laugh very softly. End of passage. Creepy dog, creepy workplace. More creepy laughing. It's time for PPP, Problematic Points to Ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? So, Dan, in that little passage, anything banworthy that you could think of? No, nothing banworthy. Troubling stuff. I don't like the whole uh, cockfighting. Not cockfighting, but uh, whatever. They, whatever they probably fighting. throw... They, they did have chickens, right? So. Oh, that's right. It is cockfighting. <laughs> From banworthy to binge-worthy... We got nothing ban worthy, but we do have something binge worthy. That's our friends Hesse and Maven. Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Raven. And, and we're, we're Hesse, Hesse and Maven. Maven. We're siblings who do a podcast. And every episode we talk about something else. One episode might be about our favorite Disney songs or Pokemon or queer icons. Another episode could be about monsters or books or food. We may not always see eye to eye. Yeah, but... I mean, I've seen you drink milk. Like straight milk out of a glass. Raven, that's not in the script. We're trying know, to promote they, the show. They need to know. Oh, oh, okay, whatever. Um, 
Check out Hesse and Maven wherever you find your podcasts and on YouTube. That is it for today's episode, everybody. Thank you for being here. Join us next time for the next part of Fahrenheit 451. See everyone next time. Bye.